How are you going this morning? All good? Okay. We're going to get right into the Word this morning, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you that your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. We thank you that we can just sit in and take it in just as your Holy Spirit breathes light and life into it. And we just pray that this morning, God, we'll be found to be doers of your Word as well as hearers. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's just um, turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to start off. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi, and he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How many people on Wednesday night watched the Blues beat the uh, Lions? Yep, most of you on TV, but it was interesting that Murray and Tim were actually there. I know that because of their Facebook post, which was pretty good. Uh, there's a world of difference between watching anything on TV and actually being there. Uh, two of the greatest cricket grounds in the world would be Lords in London and the MCG in Melbourne, Melbourne Cricket Ground. And I still remember as a 10-year-old being taken to the MCG, Melbourne Cricket Ground, by my father. I can still picture the West Indian bowler coming in, Wesley Hall, who was a legend in those days. It's just burnt into my memory. Uh, In the year 2000, Penny and I went to London, and uh, one day uh, I went to Lord's and was able to walk out into the middle and just had a look at it. And I saw things that I had never understood when the commentators on TV I said he was running the ball down the slope. But when you get out there and you're actually on the pitch, I could see this huge slope falling away, going down towards the member's stand. There's something different about actually experiencing something for yourself, something that's real, rather than standing back and just watching it on TV or, or so. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the passage that we just read is very clear about what he wants to do. He doesn't want to stand back. He doesn't want to just know about Christ. He actually wants to experience Jesus Christ for himself. That's his goal. That's his focus. That's his dream. That's his passion. And that's the one thing he says he was going to do. He wanted to experience Christ more and more and more. And all through the Word of God, from the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, it's plain that we have been created to experience God for ourselves. The problem is that often we settle for knowing about God rather than pursuing and encountering and experiencing Him for ourselves. You see, we've been designed to live with an ever-increasing sense of the manifest presence and power and person of God with us each day. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. 
as we saw two weeks ago, most often encounters happen as we take a step closer to God. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And as I mentioned, there are three ways that I discipline myself to move closer to and draw nearer to God. Uh, that's through prayer, through meditating on the Word of God, and through worship. And last time I talked about worship, about magnifying the Lord, about bringing His presence to bear on every situation. This week, I want to talk about drawing near to God by meditating on His Word and through prayer. The Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' time knew a lot about God and they knew a lot about the Word of God. But as Jesus said, they hadn't encountered the God of the Word. Jesus said to them, you guys study the Scriptures diligently. Because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. In other words, they were reading a lot about the word, but they never connected the word with the experience of knowing God. Revelation from the word of God is supposed to lead us to an encounter with the God of the Word. And God has made us to experience His person and His presence. In John Wesley's time, it took a whole year to become a Christian. So if you wanted to be converted, if you wanted to be a Christian, you would sign up for a one-year Bible study course. And at the end of that year, you would be asked 300 questions. And if you answered those 300 questions correctly, you were confirmed as being a Christian. Pretty tough. Wesley began to question the process. And he took upon himself to fast and pray for an answer. And at Aldersgate, as he read the word of God, it was like God's presence just absolutely enveloped him. And as God's presence enveloped him, he saw the written word basically just leap off the page. And this is what he read. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. For it says... In the time of my favor, I heard you. And as he read this, it was like the audible voice of God was speaking these words directly to him. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And the Holy Spirit just wrote those words on Wesley's heart. And he later wrote in his journal that, from that time onwards, he had the absolute assurance from that encounter with God that God had taken away his sins and saved him. Now Wesley was so compelled by this revelation that he told people that they didn't have to wait for a year to be saved. And he introduced 
to England the instantaneous conversion. And that started a revival that spread around the world. One little piece of written word, breathed on by the Holy Spirit, ignited by the presence of God, absolutely, powerfully impacted nations. And we shouldn't be surprised about that because Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's not just words on a page. It's not just another book. It's alive. It's active. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It'll change your life. And God's written word will lead us into a relationship with the living word, Jesus Christ. But you have to look for the God of the word as you read. Now, I read through the Bible with a daily Bible reading guide. Excuse me. <coughs> and if you haven't got a daily Bible reading guide, uh, I think we have some over at the information desk. And certainly if we haven't got one, we can make some up. But sometimes, sometimes I read it really quickly. You see, I like solitaire. On my computer, I, I like I like on my on my iPad. I've got this game of solitaire. I can just block it out. I can just go into that. Uh, I keeps all the statistics, and so I'm determined to get the rate of winning up and up and up and up. And I'm at the highest rate I've had for five years at the moment. Uh, but the reality is, I thought mm, this is becoming a little bit of a problem. So at the beginning of this year, I decided that I would not. Thank you. I would not play any solitaire until I had finished my daily Bible reading. Now that means sometimes, sometimes I'm in such a hurry to get to the solitaire that I just rush through my reading. And Pam is just shaking her head as if she's never ever done anything like that before. Oh, come on, come on. But when I read because I want to meet Jesus and I want more of his presence, he answers my heart's desire. When I take the time to read it and to meditate on the word, then the God of the word comes down. And any word that God will give us will be relevant. In other words, it will fit what we are facing. It'll be revealing. It will give us insight and understanding that we didn't have before. And it'll be redemptive and that it'll lead us afresh to Jesus. And that applies to all Scripture. You don't have to just be reading in the New Testament to get a revelation of Jesus. Because you'll find Jesus in every book of the Bible. And you can be in the historical books. You can be in Numbers. Uh, in the middle of all those family names. And God can just speak to you. And I was looking for an example of just instead of reading in the Gospels, which is easy for God to speak to you through, but I was remembering back about 
29 years ago when I'd just become a pastor. I'd led, left a high-paying job at New Zealand Dairy, and I happened to be reading through the book of Exodus, a historical book. I came to the story of baby Moses being put in a basket and floated down the River Nile. And, of course, the first thing I thought of was that it reminded me of my brother and I putting our little sister into a um, suitcase and floating her down the local, local creek. <laughs> she survived, only just. <laughs> yeah, the suitcase was the good one. The tin boat that we made that had <laughs> holes in either end, that wasn't as great. <laughs> but little Lynette survived. Anyway, back to Moses. Uh, Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter, and her servant goes and gets a nursemaid for her, who just happens to be Moses' mother. And Pharaoh's daughter says in Exodus 2 verse 9, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. Immediately I read this, it was like the, the presence of God just came into the room. And just absolutely just filled my heart to, to burning. And the Holy Spirit said to me very, very clearly, and I still get choked up when I, when I read this passage and I remember that particular encounter with God. And the Holy Spirit said, if you will nurse and look after my children for me, I'll look after your wages. And I thought, wow, wow. That was so encouraging for me. And that word from God took all the stress out of future ministry situations for years and years and years to come. And I can honestly say that in ministry over these last, I don't know how many years, I've never had to worry about finances because God has provided every time, every for every situation. See, God's word brings his presence and points us to Jesus as Jesus can be found in every book of the Bible. And as we spend time in the word of God, the word of God draws near, the God of the word draws near to us. So, I draw near to God through worship. I draw near to God through meditating on God's word. And I also draw near to God through prayer, through just plugging in. In 1 Kings 19, we read how Elijah, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, gets absolutely burnt out. To the point where he wants to commit suicide. He wants to die. He ends up in a cave on Mount Horeb. And God tells Elijah to go and stand in the presence of the Lord. Because he was about to pass by. Immediately, there's an incredibly powerful Wind so powerful that the Bible says it shatters the rocks around the cave. But the interesting thing was, although it was a wind sent by God, God wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. 
But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And these were all known manifestations of the presence of God, the wind, the earthquake, the fire. But this time, God wasn't in any of them. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it was God. We often look for the amazingly powerful manifestations of God's presence. But as I look back over the last 45 years, I'd have to say that it has been the gentle whisper of God's voice that has had more impact on me than anything else. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just whisper, God is good, into their ear. Did you notice that if you were going to whisper something to somewhere, you have to get close. You have to get close. And when God spoke to Elijah with a gentle whisper, he was close. And that's what he wants to do to you and I. When we hear his gentle whisper, we can know that he is just so close to us. It's interesting that when Jesus came up out of the waters after being baptized, the Holy Spirit came down and rested on him in the form of a dove. Now, if you were talking to a dove, you wouldn't be yelling at it. Uh, some of us do. Some of us do because they tend to sing in minors. Cuckoo. It's so depressing. <laughs> but anyway, if you had a dove, if you have a dove, you wouldn't be yelling at it. And in fact, if you had a dove resting on your shoulder and you wanted it to stay there, you'd be looking at how you walked because you wouldn't be wanting to disturb it. You'd be... You wouldn't be leaping and jumping and running. You'd be walking cognizant of that dove on your shoulder. We need to be careful how we walk with the Holy Spirit resting on us. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. The, the secret place is your place of communion with God. It's your place where you can whisper to God and He can gently whisper back to you. It's the place where you can hear His gentle whisper. In that place, there is a manifestation of the presence of God that is so amazingly beautiful and life changing. In that dwelling place, we abide or we live under the shadow, the nearness, the protection 
of God Almighty. Why would you want to live anywhere else? We were created to live in God's abiding presence. And when we're not there, something is missing. When we go through difficulties, it's the presence of God, the nearness of God, the gentle whisper of God that'll get you through. In that place, God responds to our heart cry. Just a few verses on, on from uh, that first verse, the psalmist said, He will call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Oh, how we need to live in that secret place. It's the place where there is breakthrough. It's the place where there is victory. But most often, it's not the place of the fire. It's not the place of the earthquake. It's not the place of the hurricane force wind. It's the place of the gentle whisper of God. I remember a very, very difficult situation in my early ministry years. And I just share this with you because ministry decisions can have huge ramifications. But I had never led a church, but I had been given the responsibility of helping and guiding three local churches in the Waikato, Tiaro AOG, Morrinsville AOG, and Raglan AOG. And... <clears throat> Tierra and Morrinsville were relatively straightforward, but Raglan AOG was a real headache. They were, they were in a pickle uh, because they hadn't had a senior minister for quite a number of years. And one of the influential men on their board wanted to take over the church and turn the church totally into a group of home cell churches. And he was quite persuasive. Back in those days, there was a bit of a movement going on there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a difficult. I, I, I knew this wasn't God's plan, but I didn't know what to do. And I definitely didn't want a church split. Uh, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. So I knew that worrying wasn't going to help. I didn't know what to do, but thank God, goodness, God says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And I knew that Jesus loved his church. I didn't know how to pray. So I just pressed into that secret place for a word of wisdom. And God gave it to me and gave me an assurance of his presence and his blessing. So what we did, I put what God had said to me to the board, and they said, well, it feels right to us and the Holy Spirit, so let's do it. So about three Sundays after this, uh, in front of the whole congregation, we prayed for that board member who was going to take the church in a different direction. Uh, we sent him out with our blessing to follow his dream and plant a new church of the style that he wanted. We invited anyone who felt called to join him to do so, and we 
just sent him out with just total church blessing. Interestingly, only one other family went. Uh, we knew that this was of God, uh, the way we'd done it, and we knew that in his situation, if what he was doing was of God, it would grow. If not, it would, it would go. About six months later, one of the other board members was appointed senior pastor of that church. He's still leading the church to this day. And Surfside Assembly of God is doing an absolute fantastic job in, in Raglan. Uh, they are the largest church in the community. They've planted another church up the road. Uh, they are brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely good. The cell church that the other person planted didn't last two years. One gentle whisper from God. One encounter can completely change your situation. Because God's word always accomplishes God's plans and God's purposes. And God's presence and God's power are always with us, even if we're too busy to notice it. Romans 8 verse 11 tells us that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, causing our bodies to come alive. God's presence and power, which we call the anointing, is released in us and it's released through us by faith. In Old Testament times, the only factor that would decide whether Israel would survive, the only factor that would decide whether Israel would win or lose in a battle was, is God with us? If God's presence was with them, if God's anointing was with them, it didn't matter what the odds were, they would win. When God withdrew his presence from Israel, they lost. Didn't matter how small the place was that they were attacking. If God wasn't with them, they would lose. And I want to suggest to you that the same is true today. When God is with us, we can't help but be overcomers. But many times we just don't realize the power and the potential that is with us. The creator of the universe dwells in us. But we don't recognize the magnitude of that, let alone have trained ourselves to release his Holy Spirit. Uh, one day while Jesus was walking along the road, a great crowd was gathered around him. And Mark 5 says that they pressed all around him. And one woman who had been sick for 12 years pushed through the crowd and in faith reached out, touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And immediately Holy Spirit power went out from Jesus and healed this woman. And Jesus immediately said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, there's a huge crowd pressing in on you. And you say, who touched me? In other words, to the natural mind, the disciples were saying, hey, everybody's touching you, Jesus. And they were. They were pressing in. But to Jesus, he was saying, which person touched me? with faith such that power was released from me into her situation. The woman came forward and Jesus said to her, Mark 5, 34, 
daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There was a release of the Holy Spirit by faith. Now, in John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, there is potential for us to rise to another level of experiencing the release of the power and the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But we are yet to come into that. The apostles knew about releasing the Holy Spirit by faith. When Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray, they came across a crippled beggar who was asking for money. Peter didn't pray for him. This is what Peter said. He said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What Peter had, he gave to that man. He had the Holy Spirit, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to move through him. Let's have the musicians, please. When we walk into a room... There should be a change in the atmosphere in that place because of the anointing that we carry because of the presence and the power and, and the Holy Spirit in us being released from us. The ex-community, the unsaved people of that time knew all about this because they just brought the sick out Onto the street in the hope that the shadow of Peter would fall on the sick and be healed. Acts 5.15 has that story. The shadow itself has no power. But it was the proximity for the release of the anointing, the Holy Spirit, that caused people to be healed. We're all on a journey. As I walk around the hospital, I haven't seen my shadow fall on the sick and have them healed. Anyone had that experience yet? No. So we've got a little bit to grow in, haven't we? <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is such a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit wants to flow through us in an unprecedented way to impact our city and touch our world. But it starts, it all starts with dwelling in the secret place of the Most High so that we can abide in His shadow. Because if His shadow is on us, then as we have contact with our neighbours and our workmates and the people of our place of recreation, then they're going to sense the presence and the power of God impacting their situation. 
in their circumstances. Amen. I've been preaching ideals this morning. Where are are we compared to the passages that we've read? Well, we're probably way down here, but we can grow. We can grow. And as you spend time in that secret place, as you spend time with God, it's amazing the things that He will do. And He will flow to you, but not just so that His person can be consumed just on us, but so that we can be conduits, so that we can be people who will take that Holy Spirit out into the Word. The last thing that Jesus said to us was to go and make disciples. Disciples are going to be made as people sense God's love, His acceptance, His forgiveness, and His presence. And we can do that. We can do that. But it takes each of us to press in to that secret place so that we abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Good, good Father. So that